So I haven't been posting. Maybe it's writer's block or low-level pandemic-induced depression. What I tell myself is it's the current cultural moment. For me right now, culture feels less like culture and more like content. Media about media about media. And I'm not sure that writing about culture in a context like that even makes sense. Culture is too conversational. Hence my thought that a podcast might be a better format for this moment. Because as I said, this is a conversational project. I'm bringing on a Zoomer co-host, budding internet it girl, So Vanderbilt. She's kind of a perfect fit for the first episode today, Indie Sleaze. Since she's from the generation experiencing nostalgia for the 2000s, and I'm from the generation that lived it, I think we'll have an interesting conversation about what Indie Sleaze is. Is it content? Is it an aesthetic? Is it actually a fashion revival? Hi, Soph. Hi, Sean. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Soph, and I'm just here to be a teenage girl. (laughs) It's like uh, basically it. Share your perspective on contemporary internet content. Yeah, you know, I've had my come up because of Twitter and Tumblr, so it's interesting to have this like conversation with you because you have so much more experience and you like live through it and then like yeah like when we were first introduced it's like well yeah I, my- I, guess, I guess we can kind of talk about uh the relevance of indie sleaze to how we met on the internet right because, um it was because of a piece i wrote called vibe Shift <laughs> that was about partially indie and hipster nostalgia but also mm-hmm. kind of the way that i i framed vibe shift was in some ways like a turning back to an earlier an earlier cultural paradigm but also about geriatric geriatric millennials and i mean to be honest what i was talking about was also gen xers who kind of never left the hipster fold like for mm. me for example when i first moved to new york it was kind of a funny anachronism to see middle-aged parents with sleeve tattoos and waxed mustaches uh, <laughs> who were dressed in like that kind of Portlandia like <laughs> late 19th century style you know very, a, a little bit steampunk. of steampunk yeah, a little bit of steampunk rockabilly yeah and the way that I was talking about the craft vibe, beer was that there are these certain cultural eras in which right. some people get stuck. Mm. Um, and that's also why the current quote-unquote indie sleaze revival, hipster renaissance, whatever people are trying <laughs> to call it, is entertaining to me because I was a hipster, if I'm honest with myself. Right. No, one, no one in the 2000s wanted to call themselves a hipster. So that's, it's that's like a derogatory... Cool. Honestly, hipster is a slur. <laughs> yeah, it was it def- a slur. It definitely was a slur. No one, no one, it was, it was a weird irony in that 
it was not that people thought hipsters were uncool. It was that people thought hipsters were annoying. Right. And there was a perceived insincerity to cultural consumption that mm-hmm. implied by calling someone a hipster. So it was kind of like saying, yeah, yeah, you you look cool, but but you're not really cool. You just have the cultural signifiers of what's cool right now. Yeah, uh, it's like a it's like a it was like synonymous with poser. Exactly. But from a distance of, you know, well, about 20 years now, um, that all seems kind of ironic um, in the sense that, like, I don't know that anyone was really authentically cool. <laughs> well, this this is also the thing that's kind of missing from the uh, indie sleaze revival conversation is that the, the central tension of hipsterdom and what was perceived as cool in the 2000s was the idea that certain things were authentic and other things were fake. It was very, you know, yeah. um, catcher in the rye. <laughs> yeah. Other people are phonies. They're not real cool people like me. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't see that as part of this current um, kind of Zoomer uptake of, you know, mm. thousands aesthetics. I don't feel yeah, like... no. Uh, I feel like there's just like this... Um, Zoomers have this like kind of self-awareness not well uh, they have like an awareness of like how like authenticity can be like cultivated and then commodified um on the internet and so like the question of like this person is like fake this person is real is sort of irrelevant now because it's like it's kind of like a given that someone is going to be fake on any kind of level even if their whole brand is like perceived authenticity like for example like someone like emma chamberlain who's like kind of like one of the peak like gen z like celebrities like she started out on youtube being like a really like down-to-earth like high schooler like oh yeah she was the visco girl Exactly. Like the, and the so all then, like, backpack, the Starbucks coffee, right. the messy bun, totally. shopping at Urban Outfitters. Exactly. And she was just, like driving around in her aesthetic. car, like vlogging, like authentic, like something. And then, like, you know, as her audience like grew, she obviously became less relatable because she's like getting invited to fashion yeah. shows and shit like that. And so then it's like, I she, see people talk about her on. specifically. Yeah. Ambassador, right. So she it's like, so it's like that, like, I've seen people talk about her, like, distance now from her original, like, perceived authenticity and, like, how that was, like, what originally got her audience. And now, like, she still has the same audience, but it's, like, they're, like, she's, like, a multimillionaire. So, like, they can never relate to her. Um, but they still, like, watch her. But I do see people talk about that a lot. But I think that's, like, something that people um, understand is that, like, once if you follow someone from a sm- when they're like smaller, like once they grow, it's understood collectively that like you will lose that like original like authenticity, but it isn't something that like deters people. Like people aren't really turned off by it. Like I do see people that are like, like I don't like her anymore because like she's unrelatable, but also like she still has a very large audience of teenage girls <laughs> who live at home. So it's like, it's interesting. It's like something people talk about not liking, but it doesn't actually like affect her viewership. No, right. Yeah. It doesn't actually like take away from the actual audience or career. It's just sort of like 
collectively understood. So she's a really good example of that. But I feel like, especially in relation to like the hipster renaissance, whatever, like because the tw- like the 2000s like was kind of like about this like gritty like perceived like down to earth like authentic coolness like that's something with like the nostalgia trip of like looking back on that and like wanting that same energy like that can't be translated because like any sort of like I mean I'm trying to think of like people who kind of embody that like the first person who comes to mind is like Meg superstar princess you know and but like she's older like she was around for like the first wave of it so <laughs> like or like you know there, like 10 there years are ago. still hipsters living in the lower east side and dimes oh yeah who are living the exact same way they were in the early 2000s oh yeah like they didn't stop and they're just, they're just uh in their mid-30s now and you know have yeah but they're like you know they're, they're still doing coke with like 19 year old girls <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah I, I met i met someone like this with my friend Courtney a couple of months ago uh, when I was like hanging out in Dime Square and the mm-hmm. guy that she was, she was like kind of like hitting on this guy or whatever. And he invited us back to his apartment right. uh, to have like drinks at like a nightcap or something like that. And I, it was, the funny thing was that he looked, you know, unchanged as I right. said, like he had not gone through any of the, the vibe shifts that, that happened Mm-mm. between hipster 1.0 and uh, hipster Renaissance. But at the same time, you know, he he told me he like worked for Cole Haan or something like that. <laughs> it, oh my God. I mean, marketing is the drain that catches us all. Am I uh-huh. right? Yeah, uh, not me yet, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I I I think the thing with Emma Chamberlain is interesting though because I I remember when I was kind of researching her a while ago, it was probably around that like. Uh, that turn in her career that you're talking about because I, th- I right. think a lot of it was when she moved to Los Angeles right yeah and she was and like able to afford a house like, and stuff uh those twins whose name escapes me the uh, Dolan twins yeah the Dolan twins and like James Charles and uh she was a little glammed up and like shopping at Gucci but I I remember watching one like vlog that she made that was about her going back to San Francisco to visit her parents and she went to Urban Outfitters to dress up like herself from like two years ago yeah she bought an out like a kind of visco girl yeah (laughs) that she was (laughs) born to high school a few years ago so I don't know she kind of she she handled it it well but I do remember there was like a lot of content on her page for a while about uh complaining about the fact that um she wasn't the old Emma anymore and people were upset yeah because a lot like there was like that transitional period I remember like a lot of people talking about how like oh, like, I miss the old Emma, like, the, like, that's, like, a kind of, like, rite of passage for anyone who goes through that transition. Um, Yeah, I mean, to me, also, like, when you look back at the original hipster era, it was kind of the first fully digital subculture, mm. Um, you know, because it, I think people can argue about when it starts. Um, Well, not fully, I don't think fully digital, but I think, like, the first, like, subculture where like it was intertwined with reality like the internet was part of the influence it was not it was not the same as contemporary internet subcultures no because but it was a hybrid smartphones didn't exist yet so but it was like blogs and like exactly this was this was the era of ipods and mp3s uh 
one of the like kind of like eye rolls that a lot of people would get would, would be like people DJing with their laptops. The idea of a laptop right DJ. a laptop DJ. <laughs> yeah. So you know, and the laptop DJ would be playing songs from iTunes that probably they had downloaded from something like Hype Machine, which kind of invented <laughs> this this genre of music. Which I was happy that the the Harper's Bazaar indie sleeves article mentioned blog house Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) and um you know and and also this was the era of like media piracy so yeah would make music videos by torrenting and ripping movies that had been pirated and put online um and this was also like you know the the people that, that kind of made up the hipster scene were were probably kids who we're like in middle school when Napster came out and mm-hmm. the idea that you could download music was was kind of this revolutionary and illegal you know it was actually right. <laughs> there was a huge <laughs> taboo around it so it was like a story about exactly from being a, a like a you know a tween in the late 90s <laughs> about some kid that had downloaded like a Sugar Ray album and <laughs> was you know a compact desktop pc using like Napster and then the, she had gotten like some million dollar fine and like this kid had ruined his grandma's life. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, and then there were like the blog ecosystem, like hipster runoff. Um, and then I think generally just like the whole kind of like alt lit scene in Brooklyn, like Tao Lin, who's having a bit of a comeback. You know, these were all digitally mediated projects because they weren't coming out of like a traditional like back in the 2000s there used to be traditional cultural infrastructure yeah record labels mattered television stations mattered Mm -hmm. uh, like movie producers mattered magazines Uh, mattered magazines mattered yeah a publishing industry existed the whole (laughs) like gawker which also kind of comes out of this era um you know kind of only had the like snarky leverage that it had because it could actually mock like the actual rich people (laughs) yeah in the publishing industry but like the idea of like a book agent with like and like a a black card and an expense account that's like dining at nobu for lunch every day is (laughs) like ridiculous to imagine in 2022 so there was actually like a a subcultural angle to this like you could worry about people selling out because there were mainstream you know cultural institutions that could buy (laughs) buy your cultural material buy your time yeah and I mean like there's so much about how like you know like there was mainstream culture and then there was like obvious like if you wanted to go against that there it was pretty obvious like you know the way that you acted or dressed or the music you listened to was like defined by not being mainstream but now it's just like I and I feel like the, like the Nobu black card thing is like <laughs> it's interesting because like any sort of renaissance now is like that display of like wealth is so like impossible now like it, because it's so democratized I guess like it's it's just too accessible like you can kind of just like make money however and then you can just sort of afford anything and so there any sort of like signifiers of wealth like there are still like institutions and things that are not accessible to like any nouveau riche like celebrity but it doesn't really matter you know like 
the aspirational wealth of display of like making it or like selling out is like kind of irrelevant, you know? Yeah, but it's well, it's also a thing where the internet used to be a kind of avant-garde subcultural space. Like again, just like because I kind of set this up as a like a geriatric millennial talk (laughs) boomer. But um, but it's it's important to remember that, you know, when millennials were getting online, like there were no parents around. Like your parents (laughs) didn't didn't know what live journal was. So that also, I think, kind of contributed to this like freewheeling posting, no content mods dynamic that existed back then because the adults just like weren't online. Yeah. Realistically, people only really started paying attention to the internet and especially social media in like 2008 when Barack Obama used Facebook marketing to help. Yeah. That was when people said, oh, wait, maybe maybe this stuff isn't just for young people, because even something like Facebook, which is basically like Internet for boomers now, Mm -hmm. originally you had to uh, be a college student to sign up for it. Yeah, exactly. Like for for someone my age, it influenced like which college you were going to go to because (laughs) only like elite colleges. I mean, I I, had Facebook. Yeah, yeah, I graduated high school in 2005. So uh, in 2005, Facebook was like about a year old. It had launched on in Harvard, I think in 2004. So it just Uh like started reaching out to other schools that were perceived as like being on the same (laughs) level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like first they went to the other Ivy League schools and Stanford, yeah. and then they started going to like the private liberal art schools in the Northeast and the Midwest and the art schools. Um, mm-hmm. So, so you know, it wasn't really until like kind of the, towards the end of the hipster cycle that adults really started paying attention to what was happening online. And even now, I mean, I, not to go back to presidential elections again, but everyone panicking about you know, how the internet is going to destroy the world only really started with the Trump election in 2016. Right, exactly. And Twitter, yeah. Yeah, exactly. This idea that like, oh no, it's all misinformation. It's all bots. Um, RIP. We need, we need to have like mods. It's it's radicalizing the youth. Um, but in the 2000s, old people- And then it be, yeah, I just- fuck. They didn't care about the internet. They ignored yeah, it. The, and the internet became like the new video games, like- in yeah, terms of like totally. oh it causes violence like that <laughs> but what's what's funny about i think this moment um with the this kind of like hashtag indie sleaze thing is like well one and we, we've we've talked about this previously like no one at the time would called that aesthetic indie sleaze like right hipster was like a pejorative for people who listen to indie music and wore skinny jeans and um scarves yeah yeah scarves (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah um it was kind of like an arty DIY aesthetic because also at that time of the 2000s you know most most young people just didn't have access to um shopping online there was a little bit right but it was mostly it's like catalogs still no you would go to the mall Oh yeah, I mean, but like, <laughs> would, like, no, not like no, but like you would like, like mom. Like, I want to go to the mall so me and my friends can go shopping. Right. Um, and then you know, brick and mortar retail was mostly how people bought their clothes, and then there was a little bit with eBay because eBay was kind of like the old school Depop where people would you know go find cool thrifted things or vintage things, and then you know 
sell them online. Um, but that was always like a little bit shadier, you know, you might mm-hmm. get ripped off on eBay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, but what we were yeah. talking about though was more, you know, cause one thing that I've noticed with a lot of this coverage is that the, the dating, like the, the historical the timeline, the right. timeline is not it's, accurate. No, it's, there's no consensus on it. <laughs> um especially when you know I think there's been like a deluge especially after the Harper's article on Indie Sleaze but um right before that you shared with me like the article in Vogue about the return of the 2014 Tumblr girl and right I look at that I'm like that wasn't really early 2010s yeah honestly by 2014 was- like that's when it became mainstream and like the 2014 Tumblr it girl is like the Tumblr it girl of like five years prior. That's just like when like Charlie XCX like came out with her album. Yeah. You know, and then it's like, yeah, like Which that album was, was that, like boom clap. That was a song, a sucker, I think was the album. Okay. Anyway, but boom clap, um, right? The, the song, yeah, the, the fault in our stars. <laughs> um, but it's like, yeah, like, there's just like so much like disconnect like from reality where people are like talking about these like eras like 10 years later than they actually happened and like dating them like completely well, wrong kind of part of the meta conversation about indie sleaze is that some people are really panicked because they're like oh no culture has stopped again nothing new is happening people are nostalgic for a decade ago which is kind yeah. of true but then also the traditional nostalgia cycle is about 20 years in length and this has been going yeah. on since the invention of mass media like this, right. is, this is my pov on nostalgia is that totally. nostalgia is like a media artifact more than anything mm-hmm. in that for people to you need a couple of like preconditions for people to have a cultural moment centered on nostalgia one you need access to media from past eras exactly two you need there to have been enough stuff created in the past era that you can still buy more of it Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah so whether that's like I mean it, there's a reason why I don't know people in the 30s probably wouldn't have had as much access to stuff from the <laughs> 1910s and that was just because people didn't buy as much clothing so well, that's also the great depression but yeah <laughs> well yeah sure whatever but, but you get what I mean like people yeah, in the know, 19th yeah. century did not consume nearly as much clothing as we do so you had like you know one or two dresses or one or two suits and you wore it every day until it like you know rotted off of your body (laughs) there was not like this huge yeah and I mean especially like with it's just accelerated the other thing I feel like there's just like this influx of like time and space accelerating and like you know people talk about this all the time but it does feel like the years feel like it's been 10 years in one and like especially if you have spent a lot of time online it's kind of like hard to like gauge the feeling of like how long ago something happened and then so when you're consuming all of your media on the internet and it's about stuff that happened like 10 to 20 years ago then it's easy to feel like it happened yesterday you know (laughs) and like and it's like I mean I feel like so like 10 10 10-ish years ago or maybe like five to 10 years ago, there was more of like a nostalgia factor for like the eighties. Right. Like, I think there still is a little, like there this- still is a little bit like, you know, like stranger things was kind of like the peak peak of it, but you know, yeah. like the Ghostbusters reboot, all this other shit, people it, like fashion was cyclically eighties, like, especially in the early 2010s. And yeah. then like, 
And it's funny because like thinking about that and then thinking about like the people on TikTok and like these like publications saying that like, oh, it's actually like seven years ago that we're, we want to bring back seven years ago. And it's like, that was like the tail end. Like when people talk about like the comeback of Twee or whatever, and they're referencing like new girls, OE de Chanel, it's like, she was already carrying that aesthetic for like 15 years. And like, that was like her, that was the tail end of her like reign as like, yeah, that was her personal brand A and B that like fashion cycle and that trend was like already kind of over. She was just, you know, like she just dressed like that still. (laughs) Yeah, it was the mainstream. And so it's like, people just have no context, especially like, it's interesting because like the journalists who are writing about these quote unquote comebacks are referencing and quoting like Zoomers and like people in their early twenties. And like, I don't think that, these people have the context for it because they like it's also like the age of streaming is like they just watched new girl on netflix and binged it and yeah, then like i don't want to be too mean to young people who perceive these things differently because they were like a different age when they were happy. No, yeah i mean i'm just speaking also from my own experience like i binge watched new girl on netflix when i was in eighth grade so like and it's like I my my I am like, civics teacher. <laughs> yeah, we love New Girl. It's great sitcom. I'm um, like my my really civics calm. teacher in eighth grade was like 27, and this was like election year 2015 2016. And I was like, oh yeah, I love New Girl. And she's like, oh my god, you watch New Girl? And we like, talk about that. It's like why I got along with millennials with all these young teachers I had. But anyway, it's just like <laughs> it's just like always been like this. But like, um, it's just so funny because it's like yeah, like this it's not something I'm blaming people for like this perception of reality and how long things have I taken and interesting yeah it's just interesting I mean like like Like, we've talked about like the for for example the laggers yeah yeah, the hierarchy well it's it's not there's there's a couple of things one and I've talked about this on my sub stack before um I think actually like these like older trend forecasting models from from like kind of the late 90s the cool mm-hmm. hunt model of um an adoption cycle is really useful for thinking about trends right like a lot of the time this gets people just don't want to deal with it because it makes people feel weird because taste is kind of like this third rail because it does have <laughs> a certain of like are you like is your taste good or is it bad and then that like says a lot about your kind of social status in certain situations and so yes I don't like to talk about this but but in a traditional adoption cycle and this is kind of like riffed on from a tech format too you have Mm -hmm. the original kind of like uh innovators like the people who make stuff or who do new crazy things and this is like artists and technologists etc you know like the iPhone is always a really easy example of this because it's like Steve Jobs, early Apple right. employees. Like they are like the innovators. They created a new technology, blah, 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 changed the world. Then you have the early adopters, i.e. like hipsters <laughs> who were buying <laughs> iPhones in, you know, 2007, et cetera. And it was seen as kind of an overpriced toy, you know, back then people yeah. kind of rolled their eyes at people getting- Yeah, it wasn't taken seriously. But it never is. It also used yeah. to be really expensive to have one. Like right. the monthly bill was like crazy expensive and you could only get it from AT&T for a certain number of years. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, 
you had to like to buy out of pocket was like you know over a thousand dollars so it was kind of like seen as this like rich kid trust funder thing to have one early on and then you know it spread obviously i think like the tipping point was like 2011 2012 incidentally Mm -hmm. when people canonically say like hipsterdom truly ended um and that's also when you know a majority of people start moving to social media networks like instagram which is kind of the first mobile right social media network like i mean it's like i'm on a desktop sucks totally (laughs) not at all made for a desktop experience um you know and then i think it was like probably around 2016 when you had maybe like close to a majority so you have like the er the innovators the early adopters early mass which would be probably like you know millennials in cities in the early 2010s late masses which is like when their parents finally say okay fine i will get an right and then you have like laggards which is you know like my mother who i think got an iphone and i don't know like 2018 (laughs) it's me and my siblings have had kind of a conspiracy to to limit her access yeah i know when you told me that she found out what memes were and you were like freaking out about that i was like oh no yeah she was work has been sending me memes she was like where did the memes come from oh my god yeah I mean it's funny too because I was like like side note like I've just was like uh my boyfriend and I like met on Twitter and like we both have like kind of like a significant cultural standing I would say and like it's funny we were talking about how like before we were really entrenched online like this it was kind of just like he was saying that like he remembers like seeing memes and being like oh it must be really hard to make one <laughs> and then like now because like, it's like they just kind of appeared and then you go online and you realize it's just like it's just images you make it's like an inside joke and then it blows up like it's really just like oh. that simple it's, but it's like, like you you know it's before the, it's the online it was just like before. yeah yeah and it's like impact font the oh. whatever like <laughs> Yeah, but but so my troll face, whatever. Get back to talking about the indie sleaze stuff, you know, like yeah. I I mean, it's funny too because I was just thinking when you were talking about Instagram, like, I mean, my big issue with this current like mainstream discussion of oh, bring back this, we're bringing back this, and like, I feel I'm like these are the laggards, like the Vogue talking about 2014 Tumblr it girls is like psychotically late to the <laughs> game, and like it's hilarious but it's also like so funny because I'm like I remember like it's been a couple years since people started saying like make Instagram casual again you know like trying to bring back that original like the first early adopters of Instagram and it was just a photo sharing app you could only post one picture everything was filtered filters right yeah those old photos they look so bad it's crazy I know but then like it's an it's like a you know an aesthetic people want now like even before yeah. these articles came out and like after I, I had, cause like I have been like kind of lamenting this sort of like cultural, like nostalgia shift, like and predicting it like for a couple of years, but like, you know, since this summer, I noticed a lot, I mean, cause most of my cultural consumption of like the masses is through TikTok. And so I would see a lot of like girls my age and younger or older, but mostly around like the late, their late teens would be like, Oh, like this aesthetic of like, early early instagram filtered like 20 early 2010s like bella hadid like old kylie jenner old kendall Mm -hmm. jenner like all these old filtered like vs model like aesthetic type things and like they would post like slideshows of their selfies and their pictures like with those instagram filters 
And I was like, interesting. Like that's totally like, I, I knew that would happen, but like now it's just like even more like snowballed into like, obviously Vogue and ID and whatever <laughs> being like, Oh my God, this is so crazy and new. But like, yeah, I was like always like aware and cognizant of this. And then it's like, it's just interesting to see like in real time how fast it goes. Cause literally like the tweet thing too, is just like, I saw the first, cause like all of the t- meta commentary, like, I don't know that Twee is really back. No, that's the thing too. The other thing that's important to like mention is that like, no, no one is actually taking these aesthetics and like reappropriating them and like actualizing them into reality. They're just like, the, all of these aesthetics are just aspirational. And like, there's so much about like trend forecasting, quote unquote forecasting, which is just like analysis which is what they should just call it, but they refuse to for some reason. Well, um, I, I do real trend forecasts, but a lot of the time people don't want real trend forecasts because they're too far ahead. Exactly. The- That's the thing. It's like trend <laughs> forecasts are for people. Trend forecasts are for the innovators. But because when, when I have clients, I have to ask them when they talk about what's next, like one, what's next for who? Like who's the audience? Exactly. And right. then next when like do you mean what's next in the next six months do you mean what's next in the next 12 months do you mean what's next in the next like 24 months yeah I mean I usually stay away from five-year predictions I mean that's like too far but yeah you know yeah I mean the other thing about trend forecasting is like years is easy yeah but like like, whatever similarly like I was sharing uh and this is kind of like in my mind like the beginning really of like the indie sleaze aesthetic um this concert that uh the strokes did in long beach for mtv it was on a show that was called like three dollar bill y'all or something um it's like very red like you know julian casablancas is wearing like a thrifted like formal military jacket mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. like a, a button down oxford shirt and like a, a sloppily tied tie mm-hmm. and you know then like some like kind of boot cut 70s style jeans and uh you know chuck taylor's mm-hmm. something along these lines and I, I was sending it around like i think in like 2019 to a lot of people being like i feel like this is really going to be the aesthetic of like the next decade yeah i think that's really on point right no now. totally i mean um, i see that but that was that was also just intuitive because there's a certain like cyclicality to these things right of course you zoom out enough um yeah it's not that hard to like forecast when you're aware of the trend cycles but the other thing about forecasting like true forecasting is like the kind of awareness that you can actualize anything if you just say it and people Mm. trust you so like there's power in that but then right like it's just like the thing about all of these like the instagram trend forecast thing where they talk about like dark academia and all that stuff it's let's 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 introduce our audience to it a little bit the me and and sofa discussing uh instagram's first trend forecasts and in the fashion section i i went on i didn't want to be too i wasn't trying to be mean but uh i went on a little bit of a rant about the degree to which like a lot of these aesthetics that they're calling fashion i don't i don't know if it's like fashion so much as a content prerogative like the big ones right. like, well there is I, the one i would say is like there is certainly like a goth revival um, yeah i don't know like rick owens is doing great doing some great stuff there um although that's <laughs> like obviously above people's price point and then even like the kind of uh kim and kim point two oh kim kim 2.0 uh julia fox you know <laughs> all these black like leather looks are are also kind of like a a 
a kind of like you know Berghain, uh the matrix like yeah and you see it in, that's been around for a you while see in, you see it in music too like it's all sort the, of like that's something two, you can actually say the other two that they mentioned goblin core and dark academia have been around for a while <laughs> but i think those are kind of more content aesthetics than style totally especially and, the uh, yeah. goblin core one especially goblin core but also like we get dark academia too. to me it's like yeah like to me it's like these are just like people's pinterest boards not stuff that they're wearing and like getting their friends to wear you know like there's no actual like fashion <laughs> like there is a, there is a style but there isn't like there's not something that's like uh there's no trickle down from high fashion to like target yet in that regard yeah and so well, i think this is why people are excited about the indie sleeves thing because i do think that that has a lot more of an impact on what you see people wearing Outside. Right, because it's more like found things and like stuff that you can find in thrift stores, and because it's like, it's like Abercrombie and Fitch from like 2005. People are like <laughs> wearing and calling it indie sleeves, and it's like you know, yeah, <laughs> problems with that aside, but it's it it's still tricky. kind of like an accessible to style to, to like, cultivate. To go back to the Zoomer versus Millennial kind of POV, like I think maybe it was like last spring I went to someone invited me to like someone's 30th birthday. And it was like Y2K themed. And, mm. but like, it was like wrong. Like, a oh, lot yeah, you of told me about people, this. Like, yeah. yeah a lot of people were wearing, you know, um, kind of, because also, like, not everyone in the 2000s looked like a hipster. That's and also, also, this, this also like, Y2K, also, Y2K is like the futurist, like, aesthetic yeah, moment of the late 90s. Ironically, so. <laughs> late 90s thing that, like, I and then people just, know. like, in the past, like, it's actually crazy how funny it is that, like, in, with the honestly it's with the rise of tiktok like because like three years ago it was all about like indie and so then if you google like if you put in indie like indie girl indie outfit into like google images you just yeah. go about to like shein and like hyper saturated pinterest photos of teenagers and then the same thing happened with y2k because it was conflated with mcbling and then it's like you can't actually get <laughs> images online easily of what it actually was which is like the super like high-tech like late yeah. 90s well, futurist I mean, thing so wait, you're, ta you're talking about a couple of things i want to like kind of parse them out so everyone can focus like on the one hand you're right y2k was a late 90s aesthetic i would say that it mostly happened in entertainment though you know like right it those, wasn't like those a looks were like very music video you know like hype music like, video um, high fashion like ad campaign not like what TLC, people were wearing scrubs Aaliyah, missy elliott you know that mm -hmm. was kind of where a lot of the Y2K looks came from. And then also kind of like the Matrix. Right. Um, when, I, when I think of Y2K, I just think of like a white room and like a girl with like reflective sunglasses. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, but a lot of people think because it stands for the year 2000, that was what people were wearing in the 2000s. But honestly, right. it really like tamped down. Um, mm -hmm. what was because the, also like, like people were dressed like, like Britney Spears baby one more time I was like that wasn't really a Y2K aesthetic no but so was like 1998 basic, what people are starting to conflate is aesthetics and time periods which are two different things mm -hmm. and subcultures which is an entirely different thing yeah so it's like, like three different things and they're like making it it's like it's a real forcing it's a real the Venn diagram and like trying to meet in the middle overlapping but there actually isn't an overlap in reality I but i guess like some people are just confused like i saw an instagram <laughs> ad 
that I forget what the product was, but it was something about 90s nostalgia. And it was like, you could live in the 90s. I saw it because my, my friend Dan Keller tweeted about it. And there were like mm-hmm. Motorola Razor phones and, and like the Motorola <laughs> was in like 2005. So it was like, that's that's not a 90s. That's not what cell phones looked like in the 90s at all. Yeah, my mom had a Motorola Razor in 2010. Like, yeah, they were around for a while. <laughs> um, like, but yeah, but yeah, so you, you end up with like a kind of weird soup. And then what's also happened, which is which is different today versus in the 2000s is, like I said, you know, the original kind of like Williamsburg hipsters did not like being called hipsters. Whereas right. today, there is like a huge interest, like I said, in terms of like schematizing, diagnosing content. You know, we call it trend forecasting, whatever. But and and I, I like a lot of this, obviously, because I'm a, a weird, you know, culture nerd. But like things like Kari, like the Consumer Aesthetics Research Institute and Wiki mm-hmm. Aesthetics, mm-hmm. I think have like kind of like turbocharged this in that you can search all these aesthetics. They're kind of um, egregore, uh, like group research endeavors. But even mm-hmm. like talking about McBlean, like that McBlean was a term that Kari came up with. No right. one, no one in the 2000s was saying that like the mean girls outfits were McBlean. No. And that's super fun, but it does create kind of a weird dynamic in that uh, people are consuming these kind of... Uh, amateur and I don't mean that in a negative way but these are kind of like amateur projects in the way that Wikipedia is like an amateur um Wikipedia or an amateur (laughs) encyclopedia Um, but so people are consuming these things and then like looking back on these eras uh, and presuming that like these names had some relevance to what was happening in that time right it's like they're they're looking they're looking at these eras through a lens that was established shortly after but like it's like but, retro causal like it doesn't have any actual yeah, like, and, significance to the time that it was happening and and so like the thing about or the irony about kind of quote-unquote indie sleaze this revival is that hipsterdom was also accused of being a, a nostalgic movement a retrograde movement that was mostly interested in the past and similarly the kind of like shifts in you know media consumption etc were all also all powered by like new social media technologies you know so they were kind of like and and my memory of this was that like people were just got really invested in a lot of like micro genres of music from the past you know mm-hmm. so it was like one summer at RISD everyone was really into like acid house and mm-hmm. one summer at RISD everyone was like really into Italo disco Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just don't think it would have been much harder for those things to get kind of a critical mass of interest without something like YouTube, which I believe Spotify, there, Spotify did not exist in the 2000s. No, I know. I mean, I'm like now, now, like <laughs> yeah, obviously, I'm like now, like streaming is that. I mean, like I was thinking about this when you were talking about like laptop DJs because now it's like Spotify DJs. Honestly, it's like who goes on Ox like at the party yeah. and like. But I, Everyone, I think a lot of a lot of digital platforms now are even better at organizing things according oh, to yeah. aesthetic taxonomies than even back then. Well, mm, well, no, kind but, of, but like there's still a there's still kind of a disconnect with certain things. It's like, why are you categorizing this artist as this category when it's like well, not? People argue. I mean, even right, but also it's like my, my memory of this party in my head is is partially about me thinking like 
well, one, I was like slightly older than everyone there. So I didn't want to be like, actually, <laughs> actually, yeah. that's not really, that's not really <laughs> real Y2K. <laughs> annoying. But in my head, I just, I thought it was interesting that people were just kind of confused about when anything happened. Right. Like there's like, just like this that, collective wrote, amnesia. Revival thing, like saying that the height of Twee was like in 2014. 13. <laughs> like what? Like, like, I don't what think that's true. It's just not true. It's just like this collective I, in my mind, Twee is like originally kind of a music genre from England in like the yeah, late in the 80s. 90s, like Bell and Sebastian. Right. Um, and then, you know, there was a revival of interest in those kinds of sounds and stuff in the 2000s. But again, like we were also looking back to things that happened a decade ago and there was kind of an actual like indie music scene um yeah we talked about this before too because that's the big thing is you know in the 2000s even though the internet was enabling quote-unquote discovery as as platforms would like to to term it mm-hmm. um, in the 2000s you know it, there was like a much more like organic music scene um, right like we, we and there was like a physical my, spaces to yeah go. My, my IRL teen life where <laughs> you know in this I guess you know like just for context I grew up in a college town in upstate New York but you know when when everyone turned 16 everyone had a car and um, upstate New York was actually kind of great in that era because um, a lot of the time we would go to Ithaca it's it's kind of equidistant between yeah, in New York, so a lot yeah, of that's where I lived for a while. I was little. I yeah, this, is, there, but... this is me and Soph's. Uh... We're so cool and like, <laughs> like have our, so much our, in common. Biographical <laughs> overlap, um, <laughs> but but the idea that you know, sixteen-year-olds could just like pile into a car on like a Wednesday and drive to a place that was maybe you know like forty-five minutes to an hour away and mm. go to a concert and then just go home and go to bed and go to school the next day. That just, I mean, even before COVID, I just don't feel no, like it does. New it Year's hadn't happened. that level of autonomy no. as, as young people. I mean, there is like sort of like, when we've talked about this before, it's kind of like worth mentioning that like the more rural you get, like you were saying, like the more rural you are, like it is like. <laughs> this, is, this is something that one of my friends said to me, which is that like, you know, because the, the town I grew up in is probably, it's, you know, like 15,000 people. And it's like, it's very like Rockwell-esque, I believe. Mm-hmm. I think Vogue called it Rockwell-esque in a, an article <laughs> about like upstate New York wine tourism. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you drive 20 minutes and you're just, you know, it's farmland. Yeah, the and the further, the further outside, yeah, the more into the boonies you go, the more it is uh, like the 70s. That's changed now. But in in the 2000s, it was... Well, right. But now when you go into the six, it's like the 2000s. Possibly. <laughs> it's like, no, that's what I feel like. I feel like, I mean, because like I am a metropolitan girl and like I grew up in a suburb of DC and my IRL teen life was pretty much non-existent. It was just kind of like relegated to the internet for a lot of reasons, but whatever. Anyway, I feel like sometimes when I like come across like TikToks, you know, of like, teenagers mm. who live in more rural areas i'm like oh like they're actually you know they're going to like backyard kickbacks and like fire pit oh, yeah. like beer drinking kickbacks like people did in the 2000s we used to have couch burnings 
Like when someone's oh, family was throwing away a couch, they would make a giant so fire and set the couch on fire. <laughs> yeah, like bonfires and shit. Like people are doing that, but it's not a metropolitan thing. So it's not like yeah. a widely recognized cultural thing. So it's like, that's worth mentioning, but it's also like, well, like, does that even matter in this context? Because like, we're discussing. Well, this is like, why the whole, the whole like indie sleaze fashion revival thing is, is simultaneously real and not real because you know, I mean, one, one thing to remember, especially in an American context, is that, you know, gentrification of cities started in kind of like the 90s, you know, mm-hmm. this whole like sex in the city idea that New York can still be kind of cheap, but kind of fabulous. And that there's like new cool neighborhoods to go to the idea of like a new neighborhood. I, <laughs> I don't think we're going to be encountering that. Oh, anymore. no. We're definitely no, it's... Ridgewood seems like the edge of what you can well i'm i don't know like that. But, but the point is that uh you know the the millennials when they had their kind of hipster moment were going to warehouses we're going to diy spaces and these things were not um explicitly commercial in the way that mm-hmm. like it seems like a lot of new york city and los angeles rave infrastructure is now you know um, like there weren't bouncers. <laughs> there weren't um, no, it was just a fucking warehouse with a DJ. In the spaces. Um, yeah. And obviously all of these things have just been like bought up and turned into condos or Airbnbs or, or, you know, commercial venues, et cetera. So there's just, there's a literal like paucity of, of space in cities and space itself is also just way more expensive than it used to be. Um, right. And I, I, I guess that was kind of part of the Harper's piece. Like they were, they were wondering if, if the reason why zoomers are nostalgic for that is because um they were kind of like freewheeling wild oh yeah like totally that's something i called to to party in yeah that's something i called when i wrote about like hipster renaissance in june on my sub sub stack because i was like i made like a list and i was like here's like these things that are clearly like going to be reflected and refracted into this current era and like one of them was like this nostalgia for like partying and like how I said that like the death of the party in America and like that like kind of era in the 2000s to like the early 2010s was like the last bastion of like partying it was because there were these spaces and like the music scenes etc and so like made perfect sense to me that like after COVID being like isolated like the people were like okay well what, what was the last time people were allowed to party um, I mean, and it was I, that. I think I think Gen Z just has to cross its fingers that um, no one oh. figures out how to how to like quickly uh, renovate or retrofit all these failed like you know uh, commercial spaces like storefronts mm-hmm. etc that have gone out of business <laughs> because in a lot of ways <laughs> the reason why you could have um, that original hipster moment was because these are all former mm-hmm. former industrial spaces. So yeah, you know, I think some people are like, how could how could New York ever have like be as cool as it was in the nineties? It's like I don't know. Like you actually just had lots of cheap real estate in the city. Because right. A lot of Americans don't realize this, but New York was actually the largest manufacturing center in the U.S. Like the sugar industry, the clothing industry, mm-hmm. all these spaces were like making shit for the entire country and they deindustrialized from like the sixties through the nineties, you know? And, so yeah, it's just like, and then it was left space. Like... Yeah. It wasn't, it hadn't been like optimized yet. And then kind of like after the great recession or whatever, you had lots of huge like private equity firms come in and, you know, either hmm. 
renovate apartments or tear down old warehouses and, you know, build condos on top of them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe COVID will open up some like new space because I mean, COVID hasn't deindustrialized New York, but it's certainly taking like a sledgehammer to a lot of uh, retail spaces. <laughs> yeah. So there's like hella retail space now. And like, I do like, when I talk to my friends about this, like I do wonder like, you know, like it's kind of plausible. I mean, there's like zoning laws and stuff, but like, why not just like take an empty retail space and like throw a rave, you know? Um, I mean, you have to remember that the people who are living in, you know, loft, like the idea of loft living is about people take, I mean, the lofts were originally industrial spaces that people- Right, exactly. Legally. Yeah. Like they, had, they had to, there was this whole program in New York City in the 70s called Artist in Residence, AIR, where yeah. they started putting like little labels on industrial buildings because- the fire department, and, and this is also an era where a lot of landlords were burning down their buildings because they wanted the insurance money because it was worth yeah. real estate. So they would put these on buildings so that like the firefighters would know like, oh, this isn't an abandoned property. We should go in. There are probably people <laughs> Because yeah. otherwise you might just let it burn or not even try to go into the, you know, into the structure. Um, so, you know, you know, you you can ignore zoning laws, I think, if you want to. Yeah, I mean, right. I'm like, that's kind (laughs) of an arbitrary rule. But um, right, like, it's just like, it's crazy how there's just like, no collective, like, movement. But I, I mean, it's not like surprising to me. I do think that a lot of people, um, when faced with this, like, like, it's sort of just like, you know, like, when you the group of people like leaves the club and they're like, okay, where do we go next? No one really knows where to go. It's like, that's like when someone needs to like take control and be like, okay, we're going here and then shepherd the flock. And like, no one's really done that yet. And so like, there's no collective, like, it's just like, everyone's really discombobulated and then <laughs> confused. And then they start naming yeah, well, things. Well, in, in that, <laughs> yeah. Well, in that way, post 9-11 and post COVID have like a kind of similar vibe. Yeah, Exactly. And that like, people when, are when confused you think about, about the, the direction of things, and like yeah, and, they feel you, they feel a little bit like they were promised one thing, and then the world's slightly different than what they had been promised. Right, right. Because like when you talk about like indie sleaze and like hipster renaissance, all these things like coming back, um, people a lot of times in their analysis like fail to recognize the cultural like backdrop of like nine eleven, and then like two thousand eight, and then like the problem is that like you know. Millennials have, have like grew up in that utopia of like the late nineties. And then like, it's actually like a devastation of like the American dream. And then like zoomers are kind of just like completely ongoing devastation, ongoing devastation. Right. But, and then like for, for me, I was born after nine yeah. <laughs> eleven, So it's like a interesting, like everyone's just desensitized to like, I mean, I, n- I not think having COVID, things. COVID is probably worse than nine eleven. I just think it's well it's been going on a lot longer it's a lot more annoying like 9-11 9-11 freaked people out I mean obviously it was tragedy people died but it was no 9-11 was the greatest piece of all time ongoing it was an ongoing crisis it was like the same way that COVID has been and right and like the war on terror and like all of that like the Patriot Act all of those like things about like the Bush administration like those like ongoing like p- those ongoing things that were part of that era are like not tied to 9-11 in the same way like it was all like part of the same thing but like COVID is like one <laughs> never-ending event and like 
yeah well what's so, so my perspective on millennials is that like it and I, I think millennials are annoying too in a lot of ways, you know, but I also <laughs> they got screwed up. Like we got screwed up. Oh yeah, up, totally. Uh, in, in a lot of ways as well. But I mean, you know, the, the U.S. was super rich, much less unequal in the 1990s. Um, there was like a perception that conflict and strife and economic problems had all been solved. Um, and mm-hmm. 9-11 was just the first of many things that made people reconsider that but like mm-hmm. for example like you know I went to art school uh I I don't think you know I, I come from like a pretty modest family background but it wasn't seen as like insane to go to art school in the 2000s mm-hmm. this was seen as like a moderately a moderately risky proposition but like not crazy um, I mean but like how did people like how did your parents and like the people that you grew up with like what well, was their like school with I mean I had a lot of friends from high school go to art school as well right yeah I, no, actually I, mean, I had a the... gay best friend who was also named Sean and we both went to RISD so it was not like so <laughs> crazy um, yeah I mean what was my the parents, like my parents definitely would have preferred that I go to a liberal arts school liberal arts yeah but what's uh, the like but like how was everyone's perception of like the job market like the post-collegiate like life well, like we, how did people started that? college before the economy collapsed right this, so this i mean like surreal. it was just sort of like oh like you can get a job like whatever like, yeah i mean the art school like sold itself as like no we definitely help all of our our uh graduates get work i mean I think <laughs> there was a lot of fudging of statistics and like i think a lot of it. yeah but um but but yeah no it wasn't i think college as an experience was seen as essential but it also wasn't perceived in the same kind of instrumentalized pragmatic way that gen z sees it mm-hmm. that makes sense like it was yeah. seen as like no well like now america is so rich everyone can go to college and um um you know you can you can study whatever you want and you know figure it out later uh obviously that all collapsed with the financial crisis um (laughs) but Mm -hmm. I I think there was a real sense that like there's a real sense of possibility in the early 2000s even though they were a more um more grim than the 90s like they didn't have that 90s euphoria right definitely different than now and this also just attaches to you know why early like why millennial hipsters and gen x hipsters could uh just think that it was like viable to like live in new york but not have a job and like start a diy <laughs> um, <laughs> and, Me. You know, yeah like there was there was not a sense <laughs> of like careerism um i mean also like i said digital culture seemed cool and interesting and like the california ideology that that like what real cool people did was just make stuff for free and release it online not try to like monetize <laughs> it was also yeah. part of the idea and like not selling it, out just the way that gen z enters um social media is totally different because you know instagram's a marketing platform yeah there the idea that like your instagram is going to be avant-garde and hidden um i mean obviously there's some people i think especially like meme page admins and in, in that <laughs> zone are trying to do stuff more avant-garde on those platforms but generally you know the idea is that like 
if you're culturally relevant, if you're successful, you're going to, uh, you know, make a mass, create a mass audience for yourself and, and sell some sort of like cultural content to them. And that's not mm-hmm. seen as, uh, you know, weird or selling out the way in the 2000s, people kind of saw that as crass. But even that yeah. is like a certain kind of like privileged perspective to think that like, you don't have to make money. <laughs> yeah, but also whatever. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I'm just, I'm just saying it's, I think that millennials are just, they're going to be a problem just in American culture and American politics until some of these things are solved. Cause we, we got sold like, you know, a, a rotten bill of goods um, where like millennials have right. like really low levels of wealth and they're like not buying houses and they're not getting married and they're not having kids. And when your entire adult life is just structured between like the financial crash and then like the slow recovery and then like the crazy Trump years where everyone was like losing their minds for four years straight and then COVID. Um, and now, you know, millennials, the oldest millennials are in their early forties. So, you know, mm-hmm. what, where's the transition to adulthood? Where's the earning, the wealth building, et cetera. I mean, I think in, to some extent, you know, I, I have friends with like a variety, a variety of levels of success, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but and so you can say, oh, people should have made better decisions, yada, yada, yada. But it doesn't really matter because like at the aggregate level, there are just like problems. Yeah. And I think like it's just infrastructural gonna be kind of crazy because like, millennials are going to be the largest demographic cohort for a while. It's bigger than yeah. Gen- it's bigger than Gen Z. It's definitely going to be bigger um, than all the, the youngins being born today. So <laughs> the way that like, you know, we still kind of have boomer politics like into the 2020s mm-hmm. the likelihood is that we'll have like millennial politics from like 2030 to like 2070 or something well yeah like millennial and gen x to some extent but you know we haven't had a gen x president that's true i mean and we might we might not we might just have a millennial president before we have a gen x president maybe in the same way that like joe biden is actually like technically hey, remember his- beto o'rourke yeah <laughs> Yeah. Or, or Andrew Yang. I mean, there's something oh, off yeah. the Gen X politicians where they seem to not really connect with people. And it might just no. be because even well, people, this, this is like one of my pet peeves. People always forget that Gen X is called Gen X and it was named by, you know, the writer Douglas Copeland. But he yeah. called them that because no one bothered to name the generation because it was like smaller <laughs> and poorer and, you know, not as big of a market as the boomers were. Right. And I mean, <laughs> Gen Z hasn't been tweeted with quite that level of disrespect but in a lot of ways like a lot of what people say about gen z they're really kind of talking to millennials yeah people get confused i think people i mean really like the conclusion to make about a lot of these things is just that the mass the masses are just just devastatingly confused about everything (laughs) They don't know what to say about it it's fine i mean a lot of these fashion conversations at the end of the day like uh fashion trends have mass influence but like we were saying earlier the time it takes for it to go mainstream is a pretty long timeline yeah so like even now with like the laggers being like oh this is about to come back like i was i've told you this before but like the e-commerce like when it reaches e-commerce like when you know ballet flats and like colored tights and like whatever people think is twee or whatever people think is like 
you know, like skeleton bathing suits from like <laughs> 2010. That sort of thing is like going to be on like AliExpress and Shein in like two I mean, years. I, I think we're still living in a 2000. I don't think we've actually reached 2010s nostalgia yet. I think that's still, no. That's still I a mean, little bit away. Well, like in terms of like mass adoption. But even, I don't know, even in dime square you know the cobra snake is back taking photos and the misshapes yeah. the misshapes who used to run like the kind of most popular hipster club night uh-huh. um in downtown manhattan in the 2000s are are like you know are back no right no i definitely they're, think they're, that... they're like they like you know one of the misshapes uh programmed madonna's um you know pride party pride party yeah I think one of the things that like I've said a lot is that like the post COVID like return to like life and stuff is like, especially with partying and over the past summer in New York, um, I've like noticed that like people are gravitating to clubs and it's like returning to that like pre COVID club vibe, but it never made sense to me because I'm like, okay, like clubs are an escapism tool and like no one really wants to escape they kind of just want to be brought together with other people so it doesn't really make sense and like every time I go to a club it's like the vibe is off and so I think that like the solution to that is like bringing back house parties and like um raves I mean so like everyone's most people's apartments are so small yeah right I mean but you know there's still like a there even in like the 2010s and like the 2000s there were like people who had like I know there, there, are, rich, or whatever. there, there are rich people with houses periodically that that enjoy having large numbers of people <laughs> destroy right. living that's space. sort of a, that's <laughs> sort of a rite of passage and like anyway I just think that like even though I feel like in my personal like style and like my personal like attitude about life like I'm kind of over the hipster renaissance thing kind of I feel like I'm I'm kind of like phasing out of it because I once it reaches like TikTok people being like you know once it reaches the laggers I'm like yeah it's like really out but I I I will enjoy the fruits of the labor of like party culture in New York this this goes back to what you're saying about um you know is everything moving too fast is it moving too slow but again like when you look at the Instagram trend report like how long has dark academia been around I feel like since like 2018 yeah you know? it hasn't been a while and it like but like no, yeah, those like, sorts of things I think like... it's been around like like almost five years now um or four or five years now so that's where I'm like is culture actually moving that fast or is it just that we're kind of all partially distracted and also that we're not really looking at culture in like lived space we're looking at culture in like a algorithmic feed context yeah, so it yeah feel exactly. like the conversation is like moving really fast but it's it's not necessarily that it's like developing or evolving in a no and not at all it's and like there's like a panic and like scattered yeah yeah i mean like when you look at if you like try to explain culture by algorithmic like feed like what people are interested on the internet it's sort of like doing a disservice to what culture is fundamentally and it's just like yeah people are like looking at stuff that used to be cool like 20 years ago online they're not making it real you know like there's like people are just interested in things that they didn't experience like that's kind of like a 
given, that's, you know, and then they can explore that. That's always that. been my hypothesis about nostalgia to some extent and why it happens on a 20 year horizon, roughly, is that 20 years is kind of the amount of time it takes to go from being born to becoming a <laughs> young adult. And yeah. so a lot of it is, you know, people kind of peering back and being curious about what the world was like before they existed. <laughs> yeah, of course. Like, you know, it's like a natural instinct. But like, the thing is, because of like the current like climate of like restrictive, like COVID restriction, just like you can't go out. It's just like, it obviously makes sense to me that like teenagers are like, oh, like hipster, like I want to be like, the cobra snake like <laughs> all this shit like of course they do like i literally went through the same thing when i was like in eighth grade so the funniest thing about all of this to myself is um there was like this like kind of first viral article about hipsters in 2008 in adbusters <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you can imagine. Mm-hmm. uh and it was it was about like the decline and fall of western civilization <laughs> and hipsters <laughs> being a symbol of this and there's this, a lot of parallels to i think the contemporary concerns that people have that culture's not moving everything is just this kind of like hall of mirrors of nostalgia and a cannibalization of the past a a remix culture yada 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 um and i remember everyone talking about this when it came out um it was it was like a first viral article because it didn't really exist in 2008 um mm. and i reposted a well one it's the, the original article was never online it was in print but there are some like blog reproductions of it mm-hmm. um so i reposted a a like you know copy paste version of this article and people started arguing <laughs> on twitter like in my <laughs> in my mentions about how annoying this article was and how it was wrong but I and then I think they were they were also quite mad that uh Gavin McInnes is mentioned in it although (laughs) it's from this is before I believe before he founded the Proud Boys etc so he was (laughs) he was you know he mean he founded Vice Vice was a huge influencer of this whole ecosystem the do's and don'ts were you know they were something that people looked at and laughed at and also, like, prayed to God that they would never be featured in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but what I thought was funny was that this kind of, like, annoyance at the idea of the hipster was, like, kind of the core to why it became such a, like, viral internet topic. Right. Um, so much so that, like, you know, the, the kind of coda to hipsterdom was an, this N plus one edition that was called like, what was the hipster? Um, kind of, you know, a, a, an intellectual interrogation of if this ever really existed and what was mm-hmm. it, who was part of it because everyone had tried to distance themselves from it while mm-hmm. it was happening. Um, but, but it was funny to me, just the fact that uh, there's something at its core is just really annoying to a lot of people <laughs> about this like aesthetic moment. It like drives people insane. Um, yeah. And that also to me seems to be like the secret sauce to a lot of digital culture today. And that the thing, like part of the reason why Indie Sleaze has kind of like had such legs on Twitter and Instagram, et cetera, is because it's annoying to people <laughs> right? <laughs> and and this and is kind of what powers digital conversation is people being annoyed people arguing about it um 
And so that in and of itself feels like a return to 2000s culture. People arguing about hipsters and who is and isn't a hipster and what isn't isn't hipster. And yeah, that's why it's better bad was like, like kind all of, of this discourse around it. Yeah, like part of the bringing it back is like ushering in these like same conversations. And then like, so it's kind of an inevitable like cycle, <laughs> like returning. I don't know. It's just funny. Like, like even just like everything we've just said is like part of that and then like exactly when i go when i go on tiktok later and i see people saying being annoyed that indie sleaze is like an ahistorical term that doesn't really refer to the era (laughs) and it's kind of like confusing because because indie and hipster were kind of two related but different things um, whereas like hipster was definitely something that like referred more to how people dressed and like mm-hmm. an indie was much more of like a music genre and an art style and um, my, my sense that I need to like set the record straight about the distinction between those two things and that that maybe this like term as a definition is like slightly wrong is in and right. of itself recapitulating a lot of the conversations in the 2000s yeah, and me being like i like this before it was cool <laughs> oh yeah your your insistence that you knew about it first and that your cultural well i'm gonna say you know about it first the normies... that i you know i'm just like <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's not good or bad it's just there's something about this moment where people are kind of reliving that yeah totally but it's funny because it's like i'd rather talk about this than anything political or covid related for sure for sure i mean <laughs> I, you know, like I said in the the intro, I think talking about culture is fun, but but also I think part of the reason why I would rather talk about this than write about this is that it's it's just a bit of an Ouroboros and it's it's fun to talk about, but I don't know that it, it needs like too deep of a analysis. No. Like it doesn't need a panel discussion. It doesn't actually need like you know what I think? I think like after this comes out, like we're gonna have an actual like NPR segment about it. <laughs> like there's someone, someone's gonna do it. Um, that, that sounds about right. But and but I, guess, I dread that day, but I don't listen to the radio, so <laughs> well, maybe we can talk about it next week. We'll see, let's let's figure out. What yeah, we'll our, see what happens. What's what's our next annoying cultural conversation going to be? Let's talk about Kanye. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well then, so bye. Okay. Bye.